90s, I was in fifth grade. I was a big basketball fan, loved the Seattle Supersonics. Sean Kemp, Gary Payton, they were my boys, right? Worshipped them, repenting of that idolatry, just had to kind of walk through that. But what, when I, Christmas morning, fifth grade year, I opened up this present, didn't see it coming. My aunt, who loves me so much, sent me this brand new Seattle Supersonics coat. And when I opened the present, and I didn't even see it coming, I didn't know, I wasn't on my wish list, and I lost it. I'm running around the room, I am screaming like a schoolgirl, right? I am so excited. I opened that thing up, I put it on, and look at the muscles on Justin. Man, look at that. Me and Sean and Gary, you can barely tell us apart, right? Just one of the gang. And so I love that thing. I'm strutting around. I go to school. I'm like, hey, ladies, right? And they were so impressed with my Sonics coat. And I just thought I was the cat's meow. Now, do you know what happens? That was fifth grade, sixth grade. It still fit. Seventh grade, getting a little tight, right? My muscles just kept growing. I don't know what happened. And, and eventually, eventually, I couldn't fit into the Sonics coat any longer, Right? I had to throw it out. It's getting tattered from my, you know, real rough and tumble lifestyle. So I had to eventually throw the coat away. And to my shock and awe, this coat that I thought was going to bring me everlasting joy and happiness, it didn't. It failed to deliver. And we think about that. Every present you've ever received, whatever it is, right? Like all the toys that I played with as a kid, don't worry, I'm no longer playing with those toys anymore, right? I outgrew those toys, one of the things I found as I was uh, rummaging this last week was this was an old, I remember this was one of my favorite gifts I ever got. This is an iPod, right? And this was when they first came out with the screen so you could do video and music. I thought they will never surpass this level of technology. They'll never do it. We made it. We're in heaven, right? And what happens? The iTouch came out. Even cooler. And then five or six iPhones later, I don't even touch this thing. In fact, I tried it. You plug it in, and it lasts for about five seconds, and this iPod becomes iDead, right? This thing is it's a, it's, it's a, it's a paperweight at best. And, and here's the deal. No matter what present you've ever got, maybe the, the most expensive piece of jewelry will rust eventually. The nicest piece of clothing will wear out. No matter what trip you were given, you'll take it and you'll move on. The electronic will become obsolete or broken. And the reality is, this morning, and at the sake of, of offering a Sunday school answer, there is nothing under the tree or under the sun that will give us the level of satisfaction and joy that we're looking for in our lives. And the only place we're going to find it is in the manger, in the name above all names. And in, in, this, in this series, we've been unwrapping the names of Jesus that God told Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 9, the prophecies of this Messiah to come. And, and in week one, we talked about this name that Jesus shall be called, which is wonderful. And we saw that Jesus alone, he's the only true source of awe and wonder and worship that we're going to find in our lives. And that foundation of fear and wonder in Jesus is the only place we can begin as a, a human being if we want to find everlasting satisfaction. And then last, uh, a couple weeks ago, we said that he's also a counselor. And, and we said that he is the only true source of wisdom. That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, and Jesus is the only one that can show us how to live. And then last week, we said he's a mighty God. Not only is this Messiah one who sh shows us how to live, but gives us the strength and ability to live the way that he's called us to live. And what we're going to see this morning, we're going to look at the next name, Everlasting Father. You see it up there on our boards? Everlasting Father is going to show us that not only does he have the power to give us, to, to do what he's asked us to do, his power will never run out. And this is super important. 
Because imagine if I came to you and you're drowning in the middle of a lake and I said, I can get all the way out to you and I grab you and I say, don't worry, I've got the power and endurance to get you halfway back to shore, right? Like, well, A for effort, but that's not what I need. I need someone whose energy and power will never run out, who can get me all the way back safe to shore. And collective fans, no, great, all right. You guys all listen to secular music, right? That's great. Um, no, I'm kidding. So, so this word, everlasting father, what we're going to see this morning, he'll never run out. Uh, the word is, comes from a Hebrew phrase. These are two words, everlasting and father. Ad ab. Say it with me. Ad ab. One more time. Ad ab. Or if you want to go English style, we can say adab, right? So if you need to remember it, just do that, right? And then you talk about things that don't last, right? Nobody does the dabs anymore. I know that. <laughs> Right? We floss and, I don't know, whatever they do in Fortnite. I don't know, I'm old and I'm out of touch, right? Moving on. The word odd, it means perpetuity or forever. Continuous, no end, everlasting. That's, that's what this word odd means. There, there is no end to this thing. And then the word ab, you may recognize, it comes, the Aramaic came out of this, Abba. When Jesus said Abba, Father, the word means father or, or daddy. So you put them together and it's this daddy that lasts forever. There's no end to this, to this father. Now, you might be looking at this going, whoa, 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 whoa. Isaiah, everlasting father? Don't you mean everlasting son? Right? Like the Messiah, we, are, we got God the Father, we got God the Son, and then we got God the Holy Spirit, the weird uncle or whatever he is, right? So we've, got the, we've already got those, the, the, the role of father is already taken by God, right? Jesus isn't father, it's Jesus should be the everlasting son, well, it says in the verse itself, right? Unto us a child is born, a son is given, right? But then it goes down to verse, the, the end of the verse, and it says he's an everlasting father. So which is it? Is he the father or is he the son? A son can't be the father of a son, right? This isn't Arkansas, right? We don't have that kind of, sorry, Kevin and Angela, that was, that was cruel. That was low, that was a low blow. We, did, we know that a baby was born in the manger, not a full-grown man, right? So what in the world? Well, Part of what we're doing here, we're, we're putting our own idea of father from our, our biblical understanding into this. He's not saying here, the everlasting father, Jesus is not the first person of the Trinity. That's not what's being claimed here. Context is king, and in this sense, it's somewhat literal. Because the Messiah was to be a coming king who would rule over the people. In fact, scholars say that these names in Isaiah are the royal names. And each one of them folds into this kingly concept. So do a little review. The wonderful counselor, we said, remember, this isn't like a therapist or a psychiatrist. As much as a counselor was a war strategist. Someone who's a king who's taking his people into battle. That's the kind of counselor that we have in Jesus. And then the mighty God. We said that the words mighty, it meant like a warrior or a champion. When a soldier receives a medal of honor for what they've accomplished, that Jesus is going to be this victorious warrior, this hero that will lead his people as king into victory over sin and death. And then I, I Google imaged the word prince to see what would come up there, and this was the first thing, so we're going to go with it. Uh, so the prince of peace we'll look at next week. Obviously, prince is a royal term. And then finally today, this word everlasting father. The word father means a, a provider or a protector, like the way a king would provide for the people of his kingdom. This is the kind of fatherly protector that Jesus will be for us. So not necessarily a biological father, but a protector. And the same word, everlasting, odd, if you look one verse later in, in Isaiah, verse 7, it says this, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. There's no end to this reign. On the throne of David, remember this Messiah is going to be coming from the 
throne of David, the line of David, and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and same word for everlasting father, odd forevermore. His kingdom will last forever and ever. Now you think about, you read your Old Testament and the Israel, Israel's kings, you'd have a guy who was a king, he'd reign for 40 years and then he would die. And another king would reign for 15 years and then he would die. And this was the, the cycle. What he's saying here is there's this king, king coming who is the, the energizer bunny king who just keeps going and going and going. There will be no end to this king's reign. Which is just, it's just huge for Israel. Because they've had a string of kings who were wicked and unfaithful and unable to rule with justice and strength for the people. So here comes a king who's promised to reign forever, who, who will always do the right thing, who will always protect and provide for these people. And Israel's going, yes, please. We want this kind of king. We need this kind of, of king. So father, everlasting, he'll never end. The word father here, again, is a provider or a protector. Now, sometimes that can be literal, right? Star Wars fans, Luke, I am your father. Yes, very good. Oh, man. They're rusty. You got a Christmas, too many Christmas cookies or what's going on here? So he, he can be a literal father. He can also be a metaphorical or, or, um, or a figurative father. There you go. So the word here can be figurative in the sense that a father could be a source, an author, an originator of, or the beginning of. So think about this. We call James Madison the father of the Constitution, right? Now here's what we obviously don't mean. Him and Mrs. Madison drive to the hospital one night, right? Doctor comes around the corner. All right, here we go. We can see it. Here it comes. It's a, it's a Constitution, right? Looks just like James. No, of course not, right? It's not a literal. What it means is he was one of the ones that was vital in drafting the, the Constitution. He authored it. It came from him. He's the father of the Constitution, right? Satan was called the father of lies. Jesus said this. You're of your father, the devil. It wasn't that the Pharisees were biologically the children of Satan. He's saying, he's where you're getting your source for your evil. He says, Satan is a father of lies. That doesn't mean he makes little lie babies. It means he is the father, the source of lies is what he's saying here and so when you combine this everlasting this never-ending nature of this provider or protector what we're really saying here what 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 isaiah is trying to say is that jesus is the source of eternity jesus is the source of eternity now park there for a second he's not just saying that the messiah is eternal that the messiah has no end he's saying that eternity finds its beginning finds its source in Jesus. Now, now, think about that for a second. This, is, this will blow our minds. Think about somebody being the beginning of no beginnings. Like, our finite brains can't... It's, one, it's hard enough to imagine something having no end, but imagine somebody or something having no beginning. Like, we can't even wrap our minds around this. And what he's saying here is that eternity comes from Jesus. Jesus wasn't created. He didn't come from eternity. He created. He began. He, he is the father of the source of eternity. Now, this is another reminder that Jesus is God. Remember we said last week he has to be God? And just like he, the phrase mighty God, it's given to El, given to God himself, only God can be everlasting. Everything else has been created by God and is finite. So here again is a nod to Jesus being God incarnate. Now why does this matter? Why, do, why is Jesus being the source of eternity important for us? Well, a synonym that I, I'm using for me to help think about this, this phrase, Everlasting Father, is I'm calling him the never-runs-out provider. 
the never-runs-out provider. And we need this in our lives. Because, listen, I am not everlasting, right? I run out. Last night, went with my family over to the sports center, did skating with Santa. Okay? I made it four laps. Then I needed ibuprofen and an ice bath, right? I run out very, very, these hips run down very, very quickly. You and I are not everlasting. We run out. People change. We change our minds, right? Maybe you've had people in your life who say, actually, I am going to give up on you. I'm not always going to be there for you. Maybe you've had inconsistency in your life. You or someone else, they've said one thing today and did another thing the next day. Maybe you found people in your life to not be dependable. And even beyond sin, right? We're finite beings. We get tired. We can only be in one place at a time. So we can't be everything for everybody. We don't, we don't have all understanding. We can't fix every problem. We don't understand everything that everybody's going through. We're limited. But here comes this one, Isaiah says. In a world that runs out, we desperately need one who never will. Amen? We need, we need someone in our life, and this is exactly who Jesus is. We need one who, who never changes. Jesus never changes. His heart for you never changes. Jesus will always be there for you. He, he never gets tired. He is consistently consistent. And not only can he be there for you, he can be there for everyone. Because as God, he's eternal. He doesn't, he's, God is not limited to one place at one time. And there's no problem in your life that he doesn't understand as a sympathetic high priest and that he cannot fix as your savior. Jesus is the everlasting father, the never runs out provider. Our God, the ideal king, will always take care of us. He'll always protect and provide. And then that everlasting father, as if that wasn't crazy enough, that everlasting father puts skin on and the being that has no beginning or end was born. <laughs> Figure that one out. And the word became flesh, dwelt among us. And this month, we've been encouraging our, our family as we go through this, this month, uh, church family, to read the Gospel of Luke. Remember Jesus with skin on as at birth up through his death and resurrection. And we were reading, and, and I was reading this, and so about a week or two ago, I was reading in Luke chapter 9. And you remember the story about Jesus feeding the 5,000? Now, can I be with, real with you for a second? Like, I don't know if I'm allowed to admit this as a pastor or not, but like, I never really liked this story. I never understood it. It wasn't one of my favorites of Jesus. Like, it's impressive, don't get me wrong. Like, I couldn't do that. But it just didn't really resonate with me. I didn't understand how I could apply this to, to my life. But as I was reading it this month, there was this line that stuck out to me. And, and God opened my eyes to something so beautiful in this story. I want to share with you, and maybe you've already seen this before, and I'm just kind of late to the party, but um, we look at this, Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 10. It says, On their return, the apostles told him, Jesus, all that they had done. So Jesus had just sent his disciples out on a kingdom-building mission. Go heal the sick, go cast out demons, go preach the kingdom that's coming. So they go do this, and they come back. He took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. So they're hanging out in Bethsaida, and all of a sudden, they got some followers. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Not surprisingly, as Jesus has been healing people and casting out demons, he's developing a following. More people want those problems fixed in their lives, so they're following Jesus. Verse 12, now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came to him and said, send the crowd away to go into surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. They said, Jesus, we're in the middle of nowhere, right? And they say, we don't have a place for them to stay, and we don't have anything for them to eat. 
right? It'd be like if we all got stuck in Nikiski, right? There's just nowhere to eat. And there's, no, I'm just kidding. That's, that's cruel. I got Arkansas and Nikiski. I got a lot of haters for this morning. It's fine. So he said, what are we going to do, Jesus? And he turns to them and he says, you give them something to eat. You do it. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we're to go and buy food for all these people. There are about 5,000 men, and a lot of people say 5,000 men, but with the women and children, there could have been 15, 20,000 people hanging out with them at this time. They go, we are broke fishermen. We, don't, we cannot provide food and lodging for all these people. What are we going to do? And Jesus looks at him and goes, you feed them. This is on you guys. You figure it out. And what in the, what in the, we, we don't have the ability to feed, we can't do what you've asked us to do here, Jesus. You're telling us to feed these sheep. We can't do it. We don't have the supply for your demand. And Jesus goes, exactly, exactly. And in John 6, which is a parallel passage, he says this in verse 6. He said this, Philip was talking to him one-on-one in this version, that he said this to him, for he, knew, he himself knew what he would do. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew how this story was going to end. But he wanted to see how the disciples would react. And they came to the realization. Remember, they had just gone out on his mission. He needs them to see, you can't do on your own what I'm asking you to do. So then Jesus says, but I know a guy who can. I know a guy who can provide. Verse 14, he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did so and had them all sit down. And taking the loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. So here Jesus thanks God the provider, he thanks God for this food and what he's about to do. And this is the line that got me. This is, this is what stuck out that changed the way I saw this story. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Do you see it? How did he start feeding these people? He breaks the bread, hands it to them, breaks, I don't know how that worked, like logistically, but he keeps breaking it, handing it out, breaking it, handing it out, and everybody there was <coughs> fed now, John 6, when I was reading the parallel passage in John 6, I thought it was a throwaway line until I really realized kind of what was going on here. Verse 4 of John 6 says, Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. So, so when Jesus is feeding these 5,000, it was the time of the Passover. Now, if you remember, you go back to the Old Testament, what was the Passover? It was that time when God passed over people in judgment. Why? Because anybody who sacrificed a lamb killed the lamb in the place of their firstborn and put the blood on the doorpost, the judgment of God would pass over them. And so they celebrate this every year with this, with this feast that they would give. And in exactly one year from the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus would be sitting with his disciples in some obscure little upper room. And you remember what happens at the scene. What does he say to them as they sit around the table? Luke 22, he took the bread and when he had given thanks... He turns to heaven, thanks God for this bread. He broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is what? This is my body. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do you see it? Do you see it here? Jesus, on this day, breaks bread and feeds 5,000, maybe 20,000 people with his own provision. And then a year later, he's going to feed people, not for one meal, but for the rest of all time. The never-ending provider is about to give a, a kind of bread that will feed everyone for the rest of eternity as he, his own body is broken for humanity. Jesus says, I'll provide what you never could. As he breaks the bread, it's a symbol of his own body being broken. And I love how the story ends, verse 17. They all ate and were satisfied. 
And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Every single person had enough because of Jesus. In fact, not only did they have enough, there was an abundance. There's always leftovers at Jesus' table. Like some of you this Christmas season, there's going to be more than enough food for everyone. It's an amazing story. So here's here's the question. What is it for us that this never runs out provider provides? What is it that he gives us that's better than physical bread? Well, ask it this way. What's our greatest need? What is our greatest need as, as human beings? Well, if you were walking along the road and you saw, as you look down on the ground, there's this body laying there. And you check its pulse and you come to find out that this person is dead. They have no life in them. What's their greatest need? If you looked at that person and go, man, they need a haircut. Now look at their fingernails, right? They're wearing that tacky, right? Like, it doesn't, you could, you can trim their nails, you can cut their hair, you can give them a whole new wardrobe, look makeover, whole thing. They're still a dead person, right? A, a good-looking dead person is still dead. What that person needs most is obviously life. And that is our state, born into this world. Ephesians 2 tells us this is, this is our state. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, we were born into this world dead. That word death means separated. We were born separated from God. And so what we don't need is a spiritual haircut. It's not just, hey man, externals, go to church more, be nicer, it's Christmas, give away more gifts. You can do all these external things and be a prettier dead sinner, but you're still a dead sinner. What we need is life. If I unplug an electronic from the wall, it's no good anymore until it's plugged back into its power source. And we were born from that first Adam, dead from God, separated from God in our sin. And until we are reconnected with him, we can have no life and nothing else in our lives will matter or have fruit or significance if we're not plugged in to our life source. And that's exactly, exactly what Jesus came to give us. In fact, he calls himself the bread of life, the daily bread of life. In John 6, that that same passage that he's talking about feeding the 5,000, after he calms the storm, he goes to the other side of this lake, and this is the next thing he says. This is one day later, so it's very much in context of passing out this bread. In verse 25 of John 6, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said, Rabbi, when did you come here? There are these people trying to track him down, the same people that had been with him the day before. They find him on the other side of the lake, And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He goes, you know what you did? You looked across the lake and you go, hey, there's free lunch guy, right? Let's go track him down. You're using me for my gluten. That's what you're doing. He goes, listen, I could give you bread day after day and I can fill your your bellies, but you're still a dead sinner with a full belly. You need something more. Then your, your belly full of bread. He says in verse 27, don't work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. I give you something better, something better than, than physical bread. And this is what he says, I am the bread of life, verse 35. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He goes, man, you, eat, you ate yesterday? Guess what? You're hungry again today. That's why you tracked me down. But I have, I have something to offer you. If you eat of this, you'll never be hungry again. You'll never be in want ever again in your life. And it's me. I'm the bread of life. So so how do we get that bread? How How do we receive that kind of bread? Verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. 
says, believe in me. You place your faith in me, and you'll receive what? Eternal life. Now, we need to make an important note here. Because when he says eternal life, he doesn't just mean that you'll live forever. We're not just talking quantity here. Because you realize every spirit, anyone in this room and in this world that has a spirit, that spirit's going to live forever, right? It's never going to cease to exist. Death means separation, not a ceasing of existing. So the question isn't, am I going to live forever? The question is, what kind of a life am I going to live forever? What, what kind of quality of life will I have? And there's only one dividing line that matters. Am I going to spend the rest of eternity disconnected from my father, dead from my father, or am I going to be connected with him, in fellowship with him, plugged into my power source of life and joy and happiness? He says, I've come to give you a way to reconnect with God. The eternal life, the good life, isn't just living forever. It's living in the presence of God forever. I love Psalm 16, verse 11. It defines it this way. You will show me the way of life. How do I, what's life? Granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. You want eternal life? We can get eternal life today. Through Jesus, we can re-enter the presence of God and find joy and pleasure that will never, ever end. So how do we get this life? Well, with the 5,000, Jesus broke some bread. But on the cross, his own body was broken. And just like Jesus broke the bread and thanked his father for providing for those 5,000 people, his body is broken on a cross. And out of love, God provides life. Jesus' life for our own life. And the only reason that Jesus' life is sufficient for you is because it's eternal. Jesus can offer us eternal breath, eternal CPR that will never run out. Like if I gave you CPR, right, you're in trouble, but if I gave you CPR, right, I'm going to eventually die, right? My breath will run out. I can't give you eternal, I can only give you so much breath. But Jesus is a never runs out supply of life. Listen to me, as long as Jesus is alive, you can be alive. So here's the deal. When he looks at us today, his disciples in 2018, he says, go out and feed my sheep. I got a job for you. I want you to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, every fiber of your being. Worship him and him alone and love people more than you love yourself. Every waking second of your life, think about others more than you. Now, anybody here doing that? He, he sends us out. He, say, he gives us this mission, how we're supposed to live and what we're supposed to do. And just like those disciples, we come back to him and go, uh, Jesus, <laughs> we don't have that much bread, Right? Our supply doth runneth out. We can't do it. We don't have the resources. We don't have the supply for what he demands. Anybody try to keep the law? Anybody try to live up to God's perfect standard? We all fall short. That's the point of the gospel. So what does God do? Just like in the desert. Remember when Israel was weak from wandering around? They had no food supply. What did God do? This miracle out of heaven. He sends the manna. He says, I'm going to give you the bread you need every single day. Just enough for today. I'll get, trust me tomorrow. I'll be there tomorrow. And his mercies were new for Israel every single morning. And today, Jesus is our daily bread. And every single morning, you wake up and you know what you're going to find? Enough bread to get you through the day. Enough bread to get you through the day. Because we look out and we go, man, there are things that I cannot do. I, maybe there's a person in your life going, God, I can't love that person. They're crazy, right? I can't do it. So what does Jesus say? 
since my body was broken. Here's a piece of bread. Here's me. I'm going to love them through you. Maybe there's an anxiety, a stress, something going on in your life, and you go, I can't endure this. I can't go another day. And Jesus breaks the bread, and he goes, I am your strength. I am your hope. I'll get you through this. Maybe you're feeling in the Christmas season, holidays are here, and a lot of times what can surface is this feeling of loneliness and isolation. And he goes, remember what I said? The joy, eternal life is living in my presence. I'm now here with you, and I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. Here is my body, and he hands us another piece of daily bread. I've seen in my heart this last week just a severe lack of love for other people. I look at how easily, man, I fear people, but I don't love people well. And I'm constantly trying to be validated by them, accepted by them, impressing them. And I find myself doing the comparison game all the time. Either I'm better than you and I'm judging you, or I'm worse than you and I'm jealous of you. That's what I can do in my own flesh. And even if I do love someone, I can pull it off for like 12 seconds. And then the breath runs out. I take my eyes off of Jesus and on the waves and I start sinking back down into the mire of selfishness. But here's the gospel. Each time I do that, and I repent, and I come back home, I find my everlasting father waiting there for me with arms wide open to embrace me and welcome me home and give me this feast of bread that will never run out. And you don't have to be gluten-free with Jesus, right? It's fine. It's fine. His love never runs out. His grace never runs out. Out. It's an unending supply from our Savior, our provider, our protector. And listen, not only does he have enough bread for us, remember those bread, those baskets? He had 12 baskets left over. There is an abundance of Jesus. There's more than enough Jesus for everybody. And so here's the good news with that. We think about this year, this time of the year with Christmas, and we're talking about it's better to give than receive. We can just give away freely. Here's why. Because Jesus gives us a never-runs-out supply of bread. So we can just start chucking bread at other people, right? We can give it all away freely because that supply is never going to run out. We're never going to dip back into the basket and go, "Uh uh-oh, there's nothing left here. No more for me. We don't have to worry about our own bread supply because Jesus gives us more than we need. And now we're free. Just like we freely receive from him, we are freely to give. So we just give and we give. We give our time. We give our our money. We give our resources. We give our emotion. We can give it away because we have all we need in him. Amen. This baby in the manger is not just a cute story. Just a nice little porcelain mantle uh, piece for you to display this baby in the manger is an eternally greater gift than anything you're going to find under your tree do you believe that do i believe that here's how we'll know if we believe that that's where we're looking for our joy that's where we're going to find our contentedness and i see my heart that's prone to wander we're looking for it in other things maybe we are looking for it under the tree in some material possession maybe you're looking for it in your bank account maybe you're looking for it in who's next to you in bed or who's not Maybe you're looking for it in your vocation. Wherever it is, you chase that down. There's only one supply that will never dry up, that will never run out. And for some of us, listen, when we hear this term, everlasting father, this baby is somehow my father and trying to navigate that. This perfect provider, some of us might go, man, I'm thinking about my own father, and this doesn't ring true. This analogy doesn't really work for me. 
Because all of our earthly examples do run out. They're not everlasting. Maybe you had a father who was wonderful and is no longer here with you, or, or who is wonderful and, and one day will not be. Maybe you have some unfulfilled longings that you were hoping that you would receive from a father that you never did. Maybe your father was distant. Maybe he was demanding. None of us had a perfect father, no matter how good they are on their own. They're sinners. They're finite. The reality is Jesus is the only example of the kind of perfect pr provider and protector that will always be there for us and that will give us everything we need. He's the good shepherd who guides us to the calm waters, who takes us to the lush green grass, who, who guides us in our life, who takes us, listen, through the valley of the shadow of death, doesn't skirt us around it. He walks us right through it. He's there with us. He'll always be there with us, but he guides us through the valley. And at times he uses that rod to correct us when we need us, when we need it, right? Get over here, you wandering sheep. Pulls us back in. And if you ever doubt this, this unending provision, which we will, because by definition, where there's no room for faith, there's no room for doubt. It's, it's, it's normal to doubt. And when we do, look no further than the cross for the proof of his love. You doubt it. Look back at Jesus who was willing to have his body, his bread broken for you so that you might have life. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, there is no unfathering Christ and there is no unchilding us. He is everlastingly a father to those who trust him. This is the security that we have in Jesus that we can come to his banqueting table and feast on his bread that will never run out. He will swim to you, the drowner. And he's not only strong enough to pick you up, he can get you all the way back, safe to shore. We're going to take communion together. And we're going to break bread and remember this baby who was born to be broken, to provide the never-runs-out eternal life that we need. And I love what this Hark the Herald Angel seeing this chorus has been ringing in my, in my ear all week. It says, mild he lay his glory by. Jesus left his glorious, beautiful position with the Father in heaven to come to this earth. That's what we celebrate this time of year. Why? Born, and, and I've been, this, this, you, could, you could just read this sentence over and over on a loop for a year. Born that men no more may die. He was born so that you would never have to die. Born to raise the son of earth, you and I. Born to give them second birth. In Christ, the second Adam, we can have new life, be reconnected back to this God, and it's a supply of life that will never, ever, ever run out. Would you pray with me? Father, we th everlasting Father, provider, protector, we come to you because we are the drowners. We are the ones that on our own, we're sinking. And we have no hope without you. We need your life, the bread of life, far more than we need any physical food, any physical needs here on earth. We need to be reconnected with God. And that can only happen through Jesus. There's someone in this, this, this gym this morning, Father, that's, that's never placed their faith in Jesus, who's never believed in the bread of life. I pray that that might, that might happen today, that they would find him as this everlasting provision, this source of joy and pleasure in your presence. And Father, for those of us that are walking with you and we're trying our hardest to, to feed your sheep like you asked us, may we quit trying to draw from our own well. It's going to be empty. 
that we would keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter, the father of our faith, the father of our life. Abide in Jesus deeply and well and find in him a bread that will be everything we need today, tomorrow, and for the rest of all time. It's in that everlasting father, the son's name that we pray. Amen.